recently I told you as a congregation that Stan and I were privileged to meet with Marvin Sisett and Gordon Amstutz at a little Mexican restaurant back in West Virginia. And while we were there, we discussed a lot about the current issues going on in our churches. We talked about preaching and we talked about revival meetings. And obviously, that is why Gordon was there. Gordon was having a week of meetings at Believers Fellowship. And that's why we ran into him back there. But maybe I should ask the same question that I asked Gordon and Marvin to you. Are we seeing less and less public responses at our revival meetings as opposed to five or 10 or 20 years ago? I asked Marvin and Gordon what they thought. Are we seeing less responses? And their response was that it seems like there are more and more children that are coming to the age of accountability and they're going to their parents to, to find their peace with God and that's fine. And Marvin made this observation. He said he thinks that in years past, some of the invitations were more generalized, well, like Bible reading or prayer life. And, well, would you all like to do better and expect many, many people to respond? And if you didn't respond, well, what's wrong with you? And so there was kind of a negative kickback uh, a negative resistance to some of the generalized invitations. But we did conclude that fewer public responses was not all bad. Maybe you wonder where we're going this morning. Well, the burden of this message is that we respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit whenever he speaks, whether it's at revival meetings, whether it's at council meeting, or anywhere in between. Brothers and sisters, we believe the Holy Spirit's at work more than just at revival meetings and council meetings. And so it's my desire that we are responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit whenever he speaks. The title of the message this morning is Transparency Before God and Men. For a text, I would invite you to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24, the Bible reads this way. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going, going before to the judgment, and some men they follow after. And this verse illustrates the free will of mankind. And the first category of people represents those who have a healthy and a reverence, a healthy fear for God, a reverence for God. And these people respect God's word as to the coming judgment, and they prepare ahead of time. Why do we think along this way? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 reads this way. Why are we concerned? Why should we have a healthy fear and reverence before God? It's because of what God's word says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That is a healthy reverence, a healthy fear for God. But on the other side, it's those people that sin, their sin follows them to the judgment. 
Those people are those who presume upon God's love and His mercy, and by default, they trust that, well, things, I just hope things will work out in the end, and that's a dangerous place to be. God knows us inside and out. Hebrews chapter 4. How well does God know us? We should not be trying to think we can hide something from God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So it's not wise for us to think that we can hide anything from God. God sees us. He knows us completely, very intimately. He knows the condition of our hearts. So to you, my dear people, I submit to you that our choice to take care of things now or to defer later is an indication of what is in here in the heart. I'll say that one more time. Our choice to take care of things now or to defer until later is an indicator of what is in here in our hearts, the condition of our hearts. Thinking about whether to take care of things now or in the future reminds me of a story I heard. I heard it so long ago that I can't remember where I heard it from. I called Philip Wanger to check and see if I was pulling something out of my hat or he recognized or remembered this story, and he seemed to think that he did. The story goes like this. Many years ago, some immature, and this is the best I could do. This is not verbatim, but the best I could remember the story went this way. It was many years ago there was some immature youth who wanted to pick on or to irritate their bishop. I don't know if this was an old order setting or an Amish setting, but you understand. These immature youth, they went into a field and they selected some large rocks and they deposited these rocks in the back of the bishop's buggy. Even though many years passed, the Holy Spirit was faithful. One of the youth finally went to the bishop and confessed his deed. I think he had grown up, maybe even had a family, but the Holy Spirit had worked on him all these years. You need to go and make that right. So the youth finally went to the bishop, and he did confess his deed. And the old bishop looked kindly at his former tormentor, and he stated, I forgave you boys the night that that happened. But I'm sorry that you have had to carry this heavy burden all these years. Now, even though maybe it was 20 or 30 years until that youth took care of that, he did respond to the Holy Spirit. But there are some people in the world that carry a burden all of life, and they die, and they carry that burden to the judgment and that kind of is a reflection of the verse that we just read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24. Some men they follow after. It's sorry to say that there are many people who have quenched the Holy Spirit of God, and their sins will follow them all the way to the judgment. 
Unconfessed sin will ultimately end in spiritual death. So this morning, I've chosen to use a New Testament story. I would invite you to Mark chapter 10. I'd like to pull some lessons from a blind man. Mark chapter 10. Verses 46 to to 52. Just prior to this story, Jesus had confided to his disciples what was soon going to happen to him. He was going to experience ill treatment. He was going to experience death. You all can hold your place at Mark chapter 10. I'm going to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Jesus had told of what was coming for him. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. Then he took unto him the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he, speaking of himself, he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. It seemed like what Jesus told the disciples kind of went right over their heads and they didn't recognize. It didn't fit their understanding. And they couldn't comprehend what Jesus was saying. Now we want to consider this morning, Jesus was at Jericho and he was going up to Jerusalem. Jericho was a popular resort city built by Herod the Great. It's my understanding that the road from Jericho up to Jerusalem is approximately 15 miles in length. I found this out this morning. Jericho evidently is the lowest city in the world. Jericho is 847 feet below sea level. Very interesting. I didn't know that. And Jerusalem is 2,474 feet above sea level. So this journey Jesus and his disciples were about to take, it rises almost two-thirds of a mile. They go 15 miles in length, and they rise almost two-thirds of a mile. It's a very difficult, serpentine journey that Jesus and his disciples were just ready to take. And this is just prior to the triumphal entry uh, into Jerusalem. The story we're planning to look at this morning of blind Bartimaeus is, is told in three of the four Gospels. And Matthew tells that it's two men that were blind and not one. But just a few interesting tidbits uh, before we get into this story. Now I'd like to read the account we have here in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the high wayside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And 
I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing Bartimaeus right or Bartimaeus. I looked it up, and I think it's Bartimaeus, according to uh, what I found in the uh, in the Bible, how it's supposed to be said. But you can correct me if I'm wrong. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth in verse 47, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he casteth away his garment, he rose, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I may, might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. A few lessons that we can learn from this blind man. Number one, he's a man, he's a named man with an obvious need. His name is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was strategically placed in a high-traffic area. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to maximize contacts. You would, if you wanted to receive something from someone, you'd want to go where there's a high-traffic area, where there's a lot of people. And that's what Bartimaeus did. Bartimaeus was begging. He was seeking a compassionate heart. And I'd like to ask you and I, are you and I not a named individual with obvious needs. I'm hoping we can make some spiritual parallels and spiritualize part of this story. And I'm asking you, are not you, am not I, a named person? And don't we have obvious needs? That was from verse 46. Verse 47, I'd like to say this is a change in fervency. It is true that the reputation of Jesus had traveled far and wide. And Bartimaeus, he recognized Jesus for who he was. He recognized him as the Messiah. He called out, Jesus, son of David. He recognized him as the anointed one. And he called out to him, recognizing Jesus as the anointed one and and he now was seeking more than coins. He was seeking mercy from the great physician. And he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The, fourth, the third lesson that we can pull from this story, Bartimaeus' personal needs were greater than his fear of criticism from others. We find that in verse 48. You know, there was a lot of people in this story that were commanding Bartimaeus, now settle down, cut the commotion, be quiet. And this only intensified his desire for mercy. Bartimaeus was thirsty, and he realized that he was near the source of the one who could dispense living water. And you know what the Bible tells us? that the snare of men, no, the fear of men is a snare. Let me turn to Proverbs chapter 29 and read a verse to you. 
Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. If Bartimaeus had a greater fear of men, he would have kept quiet. But he was so concerned and he had a great need. And despite what people was going to say and try to hush him up, he sought the Lord Jesus for mercy. And I say to you, let's be careful about the fear of men. Is it possible that you have a need here this morning? Are you concerned, well, what will people think of me if I go to someone and express my need? Well, I tell you, the Bible says the fear of men is a snare. Beware. The fourth lesson that we can learn from this passage, and this is from verses 49 to 50, Jesus responded to the faith of a nobody. And I have that, I have that in quotes. Bartimaeus was, well, or Bartimaeus was well acquainted with rejection and prejudice. Many of the Jews, they viewed blindness as a curse for sin. Why do we know that? Let's look at John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So just because someone is struck with uh, an illness or something, a blindness or something else, does not necessarily mean that it's a curse for some sin in their life. Jesus refuted that in that story. But you know, one of the greatest desires of mankind is to be accepted. And many have experienced rejection upon rejection to the point where they feel like they have no hope. There's a lot of people in our world today that feel like they have no hope. They've re experienced rejection for years on end. And who is it that can show them mercy? It's interesting in this account that many of the people in the multitude, Jesus singled one of them out. And he gave Bartimaeus his undivided attention. Now it is true that in the Old Testament that the Jews were to take care, or they were to make provision for those that were less fortunate or had illness. Or turn to Luke chapter, I'm sorry, Leviticus 25, 35. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him, yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. So provision was to be made in the Old Testament for those with illness or uh, those were unfortunate people they were to be taken care of. But it's interesting in this account, here we see that Bartimaeus, he threw aside his garment or his cloak. He cast aside his garment. It's my understanding that the garment was not to be to keep him warm. The garment was what he took and he laid out in front of him and he spread it out 
and this is where the people would throw their monetary uh, blessings or their money and to help him out. And so, in essence, this garment that he threw away was, in essence, his cup when he was to receive. Many of you have been in cities and you've seen somebody holding out their cup and they want you to throw money into their cup. Well, Jesus, he, he came, he came along and Bartimaeus, he threw away his cloak. And what Bartimaeus had received from compassionate countrymen was no comparison to what he expected from Jesus. Then the fifth lesson we can learn, Bartimaeus, he verbalized his specific need. Do you believe that Jesus knew the need of Bartimaeus in his heart, what he need, needed? Well, obviously he did, but Jesus desired that Bartimaeus would verbalize his need. And to the crowd and to the multitude, this man's need was obvious. Money would not fix the problem. And this was opportunity for Jesus at least to partially fulfill his mission. What was Jesus' mission? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4, Jesus spoke of his mission at least partially. Luke chapter 4 verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For what reason? Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives, and note this, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So this man, Bartimaeus, this was an opportunity for Jesus to fulfill part of his mission while he was here on the earth. I was also reminded, you know, Jesus wanted... Bartimaeus to verbalize his need, but I was reminded also of the sermon that Brother Leon preached here a couple weeks ago. The title of that sermon, I think, was When God Says No. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God wants you to verbalize your need. And I've told some people before that one of the greatest and questions that come my way is how do you deal with infertility in the life of your congregation? And I, to me, that's one of the hardest things to answer. Uh, couples that would desire to raise godly seed and cannot. How do you answer that? And I don't know if I have the answer. And there may be someone here this morning that is experiencing an extended illness, something that you carried for a long time. And you verbalized your need and you prayed to God about it. I don't have all the answers. I'm reminded of what the Bible tells us in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for we see through a glass darkly. I don't know all the reasons what God does what he does, but I do know that our Father is good and he answers well. 
He may have something in store. He's working behind the scenes to bring something about that is much better than what we are asking for. And I cannot explain that to you. The sixth lesson that we can learn from this passage is a beautiful response of Jesus. And I say this is a genuine faith rewarded. Jesus rewarded this man's simple faith. And he says, your faith has healed you. Reminds me of what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Though this man Bartimaeus, he besought the Lord. He said, Jesus, thou son of David. He recognized him as the anointed one, the Messiah. And he sought God and the Lord Jesus answered him and he healed him. One thing that really blessed me is the change of direction of Bartimaeus. Notice the change of direction. At the end here in verse 52, And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Jesus didn't say, Take up your bed and go home. He said, go thy way. And I think that is significant. What was important to Jesus was now important to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. The Bible tells us that the man who was once blind followed Jesus in the way. And I don't know whether you believe this or not, but I'm thinking that Bartimaeus probably was part of that exultant throng during Jesus' triumph triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It says Bartimaeus followed this man, Jesus, and I'm assuming they were making a 15-mile journey up to Jerusalem. And I believe that Bartimaeus was part of that triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem. And I'd like to say, let's contrast the eyesight of the recently healed Bartimaeus with the religious leaders who were seeking to kill Jesus, to kill the Messiah. I'd like to ask you a few questions this morning. I'd like to make this practical and spiritualized part of this story that we looked at this morning and ask a few questions. Are you here this morning with a burden that you have been carrying for many, many years and you are seeking relief. Have you been blinded by a sin burden and you need help to find the cross? Could you be one of the multitude that has put a lot of stock in your lineage and now you know that there's no saving grace in where you came from? Are you caught up in a, work, a works religion and you realize that that is empty. Is it possible that you have backslidden in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you know it? I'd like to make a few applications to this story from blind Bartimaeus. I'd like to ask a few more questions. Are you a named individual with specific needs? Whether your name is Ellen or Sally or Elam or Samuel or Jay, 
Are you a named individual with specific needs? Secondly, do you recognize the Messiah? Do you cry out to him, seeking him for mercy? Three, are your physical and spiritual needs greater than your fear of men? Do you have needs? Are you more afraid of man? Or do you realize that the needs that you have, you're going to take care of it, and you're not going to worry about the fear of men? Number four, are you willing to cry out for mercy? Number five, are you willing to verbalize your specific needs, whether they're physical or spiritual? Number six, do you believe that the great physician has the power to meet your physical and spiritual needs? And brothers and sisters, I cannot promise you that if you go to him, that he will answer your prayers like you would desire that they would be answered. I can't do that. But I believe if we go to him in faith, I believe he will answer our prayer. I was reminded of Philippians 4.19. I think it goes like this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I thought of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. I should be able to say this one by memory. But, and we know that he is able to do exceeding abundantly. I ought to get that one. I should be able to quote it. I think that's close. But Ephesians chapter 3. Thank you. Thank you, Mel. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Like I said, God may not answer your prayer like you desire, but he might even have something better. In conclusion, just as Jesus passed through Jericho, Jesus is passing, passing by this morning by way of the peak congregation. Will you like Bartimaeus? Will you realize your need? Will you verbalize your need? Will you reach out and receive his blessings? Jesus had that great invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. May God bless you as you reach out to the Father for your needs. As you verbalize your needs, I'm sure he has blessings in store for you. Maybe a little different what you're expecting, that I'm expecting. But our God is a good God, and he answers well. Shall we have a song?